And here Jesus comes to breathe into them the Holy Spirit. See, this new life and this new creation that we get to have because of the resurrection doesn't come from you and me. It comes from God himself breathing into us faith and hope and life, breathing into us his spirit so that even in our darkness and our sorrow and our pain, even though that still persists, we can maintain hope. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. He is risen. Amen. In case you don't know this, here at The Point, we believe questions are a healthy part of your faith, so feel free to text them in throughout the morning. They'll be on the screen, and we'll, I'll do my best to respond to them later. Also, parents, I'm so glad you're here with your kids, and you'll see my three kids up front, well, two of them, one's waiting desperately for his hot chocolate to cool down, but you'll see them up here shortly. And you may notice my kids don't always sit still and aren't always quiet, and that's okay if your kids don't either. They're welcome in here even if they're not okay and if they're screaming and they're just distraction. Anytime somebody complains about kids distracting them in church, I say, well, that's good. That means they're in church. So thank you for being here. If you at any point would like to step out because your kid needs just a moment to calm down, you're welcome to do that. If you follow the signs through this door, you can go use the Kids Point room. We have the service being live streamed in there, so you won't miss more than just your walk there, all right? Otherwise, we're glad you're in here. Now today, as we get into the story of the resurrection and this promise of hope, unfortunately, we have to back up into a time when there wasn't much hope. A time of darkness. In fact, as I begin reading the story here in a moment, you'll see the darkness was quite literal. The story takes place before the sun had risen. And there in the darkness, it's not just a lack of light, but there is a darkness of the heart, heavy with grief and burdened with sadness. Perhaps you can relate this Easter morning. There is a darkness there filled with confusion and questions and uncertainty. Perhaps you know what that darkness is like. In this story we're about to read, there is a darkness perhaps of great shame and regret. If only I had done this differently. Or maybe if we hadn't done that. And perhaps you can relate to that darkness of this story. And into this darkness comes our hope. So today we begin in John chapter 20. Now just to give you the setting before I start reading this, this is on the Sunday morning after Jesus had died, before the sun had risen, and his tomb was in a garden. 
And we'll get to why that may be important later. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus, leading up to his death, had been telling people he was going to die and on the third day rise from the dead. And the Jewish leaders who were not happy with the things he said were afraid that his disciples would come in the middle of the night and steal his body so they could say he was risen. And so they put a big stone in front of the tomb and guards. Now this account doesn't talk about the guards, but another account of this resurrection says that when Jesus rises from the dead, they're like dead men with fear. They get paralyzed. But here in this account, it just says the the stone is rolled away. And Mary Magdalene, she sees the stone is rolled away, and so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which we know is John, the author of this book. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. See, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early in the morning and it was dark and she saw that the stone was gone and there was for her confusion and fear. Where is this man? Where is this one we called Lord? We thought was the coming Messiah. Now to back it up a little bit, why is it she was going to the tomb? She was going to the tomb with pounds of spices. Spices intended to decorate and prepare the body of Jesus for death. I don't know if you know this, but bodies, when they decay, they smell. And back then, they didn't have refrigeration and formaldehyde and all these things to preserve bodies. And so when a tomb was brand new and unused, they would put the first body in there, and then later, when they needed to add another body, they would come back and they'd take the bones of that now decomposed body, and they'd move them out of the way, and they'd put a new body there. And so you wanted lots of spices and oils so that when you came back later and you opened it up, anybody ever opened a fridge that's full of rotten food? Whew, that'll get you. Imagine a tomb in the heat of the desert. And so these spices were intended not only to help him as he decayed and to honor him and to bless him, but they were intended to prepare for the next one, the death that was coming later. She goes to prepare Jesus there in the dark, and he's gone. She runs to tell the other disciples, you won't believe it, they've taken our Lord. Now what? So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I like the little subtle brag there. (laughs) And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, subtle brag, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I will pick this story up here in a moment, but I just want to pause there to share with you a little bit about how John writes. 
The whole book of John, if you remember Adam's sermon last week, uh, in many ways mirrors the creation story in Genesis. In fact, if you read Genesis 1, how does it start? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form, and darkness hovered over the earth. And then God speaks, and light comes to be. And if you read the beginning of John, he starts out, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word be- or was God. He's saying that word which spoke all things into being was God. And all of this gospel is mirroring the Genesis account. And so the fact that he ends his gospel in a garden is not on accident. See, it was there in the beginning God created a garden where he could walk with us, where we could be in perfect relationship with him. We would have no sorrow or sickness or confusion or pain, no hunger or sadness. Life would be perfect. And then sin entered in, and it all fell apart. John, as he's writing this resurrection account, is the only of the gospel writers to focus on the fact that she went before the sun rose in the darkness. And he's mirroring that time in Genesis in the darkness when darkness was over the earth and things came to be. And there's a little bit of anticipation as you read what's happening. In this time of darkness and confusion and chaos, out of that in Genesis comes life. But here, they're left confused. Jesus is gone. His body isn't there, the tomb is open. Where did he go? And the disciples, they come and they see that the cloth is lying there, which leaves one of two things. Either somebody took the time to unwrap him and carry him away, or maybe he was no longer needing that cloth. And they, it says, as of yet, they did not understand the scripture. I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes when I read God's word, I may read it a hundred times and still be left going, I don't quite get it. If you read the other gospels and the account of the resurrection, it seems even after this moment where they see the empty tomb, they're continually filled with the sense of we don't understand. God, why is this this way? What are you doing? Do you ever feel that way in your life? God, I don't really understand where you're at or what you're doing. Your plans don't make sense to me. The things you've said feel like they're falling flat. I'm left in the dark. Will you help me out? Story continues. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now, real quick, if you don't know who Mary Magdalene is, let me fill you in on a little bit of history, and let me admit to you that sometimes as pastors, in fact, most of the time, we discover the more we read, the less we know, and that's okay. How many of you have ever heard of Mary Magdalene before? Anyone? Now, if I were to tell you that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, how many of you would say, yes, I've heard that before as well? About the same number of you. See, Mary Magdalene is one of the followers of Jesus. She follows all throughout the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, repeatedly bring her up at key moments. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story where a Mary, we don't know which Mary, because there's a lot of Marys, it's confusing, it's like two Adams who would do such a silly thing. (laughs) There's a story here 
In Luke chapter 7, where a Mary comes to Jesus, and it says she was a woman of the city, a great sinner, and she anoints his feet with perfume, expensive perfume, and she wipes it off with her hair, this reverence and this honor given to a king. Well, in 591 AD, there was a pope who was preaching on Easter Sunday, and he equated that great sinner, this woman of the city, with being Mary Magdalene. And in his Easter sermon, he said, here at the resurrection, God shows up first to a prostitute. Isn't that good news for you and me, for those of us who've gone astray? And for 1,500 years since, we've equated Mary Magdalene must have been a prostitute. I gotta be careful what I say because you might believe it for a while. But I learned this week that scripture doesn't directly tell us that Mary Magdalene was that Mary. In fact, in the very next chapter, Luke chapter eight, he continues and he talks about three or four different women who are following Jesus and he says that they provided, the women provided for the group out of their own means. Mary Magdalene was perhaps a prostitute or perhaps a woman of great social status, of lots of wealth, And out of her wealth, she saw the things Jesus was doing and said, I will give whatever it takes to support this, to help this. In fact, if you don't know much about church history, a long time ago, there was a big split where the church said, we don't like the Pope. Actually, that's happened twice now. I don't know. It seems to repeat itself. But a long time ago, the church split and you had like the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And the Western Church followed Rome and the Eastern Church followed Constantinople and they kind of went different directions. So if you ever meet Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, they fall in this side of the church. Everybody else falls in this side of the church, all right? Pretty simple history. Well, when the Pope preached that this Mary Magdalene was also that prostitute, they all in the East said, hold on, that's not what we've believed. See, when they looked at Scripture, they saw how she was always there in key moments. In fact, she's the only person recorded in the Gospels, in all four Gospels, at being present when Jesus dies and then present when he rises. She's repeatedly, time and time again, showing up at key moments. And the Eastern Church said, we don't think she was the prostitute. We think rather she was one of the first apostles. Perhaps an apostle sent to the apostles, and if you don't know that word, that literally means sent ones. We describe the early leaders of the church, the disciples of Jesus as apostles, because later on when Jesus shows up, he sends them out to go and do his work. And the Eastern Church says, Mary Magdalene, she was that first apostle being sent to these 12 who didn't believe. With that in mind, I was kind of like, wow, that may change this story a little bit. And so let's continue reading. She's there at the tomb. She stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. As I read this, thinking about either perspective of Mary, possibly a prostitute or possibly a woman who gave up everything and great wealth to pursue Jesus. 
In both of those, I thought, why she may be weeping. As a prostitute, perhaps that weeping was, I have finally found a man who cares enough to look past my brokenness and beyond my shame and over my regret and instead to see me for who I am. And this is a God worth following. Or perhaps as a woman of great status, she saw this man is worth more than any king, than any position of honor or glory. This man is truly worthy of everything. And now he's dead. Have I wasted my last three years? Have I wasted this pursuit because who can come back from the dead? And a second time she says, where have they taken him? Where is he? Then it continues. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Like, just imagine, have you ever been that deep in grief that your eyes don't seem to work? They play tricks on you and you're filled with, is this real? And you turn around, you're grieving a loved one lost and there they are in front of you. Would you believe it? Surely my eyes are deceiving me. Surely this can't be. She turns and she sees Jesus. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Notice here that's the exact same thing the two angels said. This voice coming from God. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Here in a garden where they believe death has had its final victory. Here in the garden where they're filled with darkness and sorrow and pain and confusion, where grief is overwhelming, she sees Jesus and perceives him to be the gardener. And I love how John portrays this, if you think about it in terms of Genesis. For it was there in the garden that God was the gardener who provided for everything. That God was the one who gave their every need, who gave them so they had no hurts or pains. God was more than enough as the gardener there in the beginning. And here in her darkness, she looks and she sees a gardener, one who provides and cares and brings beauty out of death. She says, where have they taken him? And then it says this, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, I love thinking about Mary in either of her possible roles and hearing Jesus call her by name. See, perhaps for some of us, the empty tomb is enough. We can hear the testimony and say, I believe it, it seems right. But I think for most of us, we need something more. A God who calls us by name. A God who knows our darkness and our hurts and our fears and our pains and our shame and our regret and all that we've lost and given up. And who looks at us tenderly and kindly and calls us by name. Mary. And her eyes are opened and she sees. And then Jesus says something rather strange. 
He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Can you picture that? Jesus is risen from the dead. She finally sees it and she just wants the biggest hug. I'm never letting go. Because if I let go this time, what will happen next time? Isn't that the way we feel in our grief? If we can just have one more moment, I'll hold on forever. When, when we're in our pain and our shame and our anguish, if we could have just one moment of relief, we won't let go. But Jesus says, don't cling to me. There's more to be done. Go and tell the others. Go and share what I have done and what you have seen. Go and tell. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things. And guess what? If you're reading the other gospels, they don't believe her. Because would you? I've seen him. He's risen from the dead. You're just seeing things, Mary. Sit down and have a drink of water. It'll be okay. No, seriously, he's risen. Is he though? I love this account of the resurrection for several reasons. I think it's no accident that God first appears to a woman. If you think back to the garden story, all of history, who do we blame for the fall? Wrongly, let me tell you, scripture blames Adam, but who have we blamed for the fall? Eve. And yet here, it's to a woman that God first appears. Kind of reversing that very thing there where the pain and the sorrow was blamed on her. Now he's saying, you get to be the bearer of this really good news. Go and tell. I also love that there in the beginning is darkness and when sin enters in, God comes to, the, uh, to Adam and Eve and he's walking in the garden and he says, where are you? But here there's kind of that reversal. God has come again. Jesus is there. And Mary says, where is he? Where is God? See, John writes like this, mirroring Genesis, so that through the resurrection, you and I can see there has been a new creation that has come. Because he is risen, all that was dead, all that was broken, all that was sinful and sick and sorrowful, all that was, is no more. And we now have complete access to God our Father. We're now invited in, not as his children or not as those sinners, but instead we're invited in by name. Come, see. We're invited to know that he is alive. And then the story continues and Jesus shows up to the rest of the disciples who are a bunch of nincompoops and he shows up and they still don't quite get it and he says, peace be to you and he gives them his peace and then he does a really weird thing after telling them that they're gonna go to the whole world and they're gonna share this good news. It says this in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you remember there in the beginning in the garden when God made man out of the dirt, he breathed his life into man. And here Jesus comes to breathe into them the Holy Spirit. See this new life and this new creation that we get to have because of the resurrection doesn't come from you and me. It comes from God himself breathing into us faith and hope and life. 
breathing into us his spirit so that even in our darkness and our sorrow and our pain, even though that still persists, we can maintain hope. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Like, whatever tomorrow may bring. In fact, if you know what happens later for every one of these disciples, life only gets harder after the resurrection. You try going around telling people that a dead man is now alive and see how they respond, especially when he was killed as a criminal. After this, everything gets harder. But Jesus, having breathed new life into them, says, go and tell. And for you and for me, there is darkness and sorrow and grief and pain that still clings. That we still walk through saying, I don't understand. I don't like this. This hurts. I'm really lonely. I'm really sad. Help me, God. And still today, he breathes his Holy Spirit. Even in our darkness, he calls us out. By name, have faith. Have hope. It will be okay. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are creating in us new life. You're breathing into us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You have raised from the dead and you are risen today. God, we come before you in our darkness and you call us out. In our shame, in our sorrow, in our loneliness, in our grief, you call us out into hope to grieve as those who are filled with hope. You have risen from the dead and one day you will come again that we will be forever with you and with those whom we love who died with you. So God, breathe into us new life. Fill us with hope in the place of our darkness. May your light shine for all to see. And God, may we with confidence, like Mary, go and tell of the good news that you are risen today. Amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you came prepared to give today and you prefer to give with cash or check, here in a moment when you leave, you can do that in the popcorn buckets in the back corners. If you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can pray with you, if you'd like us to connect with you and just see how you're doing, you can place those physical cards in the buckets as well. If you're somebody who prefers to give online and you would like to do so that way, at thepointknox.com, you can click the little green button or teal button in the bottom corner, and there's an option that says, I'd like to give, and there you can give safely and securely online. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Amen. Hey, Emily. Yeah. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You could do better. I was by myself. You have a microphone. I do have a microphone. By the way, my kids were practicing in the car today, and they were singing and saying hallelujah in the weirdest of ways possible, and it was quite loud and distracting while driving. Uh, so I think we should hear some of that. Uh, some should point. we try it one more time? Yeah. I he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. That's much better. Awesome. <laughs> All right, well, every week we invite your questions and I do my best to try to respond. So what questions came in this week? We only have two questions today. Um, The first one is, what does he is coming back really mean? What does it mean? 
Well, Jesus promised before he ascended into heaven, he said, I will return. Like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. But better because he's not coming back in any kind of bad way. He's coming back to fully finish the work he started and once and for all wipe away every tear and all sorrow and pain. And so for those of us who are in Christ with faith, it's a good thing he's coming back. He's going to heal every wound. All of our grief will be gone. The dead will rise with new everlasting bodies that don't grow weary or get sick. And for those who are outside of faith, it's a good thing he's coming back because he hasn't yet. There's still time to see his love and follow him. So, Next question. When Jesus calls his disciples, we are told that they left everything and followed him. How might we today, while we have obligations and careers, etc., practically leave everything and follow him? What might that look like today? A lot of different things. So the first answer is, it looks different for all of us. Some of you might actually be called to literally leave everything. To sell all your stuff and give it away. That is a possibility. Some of you might be called to leave your neighborhoods and your comfort zones and go someplace else. Maybe it's a new city in the U.S. Maybe it's a new country in the world. You may be called to go someplace else. The question is, are you listening and are you following? For most of us, the call to follow him and to give everything is to see every day and every moment as an opportunity to share his love with others. Now, I have to confess, I'm not perfect at that. The disciples, if you read the story, they weren't perfect at that. Peter himself screwed it up. That's why we have the book of Galatians, by the way. But we are called to lay down our lives to love others, which means there will be times when you will want to share your opinion, which is actually fact, because I know you're correct, and you will want to challenge and argue and push against somebody else, but maybe instead you just let it go because it's not important. And there will be times when your neighbors are speaking ill of somebody else and you have to stand up for them and say, that's not true or good. Let's speak well of them. And there may be times where you're called to live different than the people around you by saying no to some good things or yes to some things that other people don't understand for the sake of Jesus. And that's okay. He is always better and always worth it. Does that help? Well, it wasn't my question. Oh, okay. Um, but hopefully it did help. Now, yeah. I think there was a question that came in last week after we'd finished about forgiveness. Yes. Do you want to you tackle that one? Yeah, we didn't get a chance to last week. Okay. This one says, Jesus says to forgive 70 times, seven times. And there is the old saying, forgive but don't forget, which I think of in terms of having healthy boundaries of protection. So where is the middle line? Am I not truly forgiving if I am not forgiving? Am I not truly forgiving if I am not forgetting, or is there a good balance? Uh, thank you for that question. Forgive and forget is not a biblical mandate. It's not in there. Forgiveness does not mean that you and I forget it. Yes, it does say that the Lord has forgotten our sins, that he doesn't remember them against us. But everyone else throughout Scripture still remembers God's given us this memory, and we are not perfectly able to just let it go. So to forgive is to not wish ill upon the other, even if you remember the hurt. To forgive is to hope for good things for the other, even while it still hurts that they did something against you. And so you can forgive and not forget. 
I will say that forgiveness sometimes means going back and opening up the door for them to hurt you again because we're broken and sinful people and we will do that. And sometimes forgiveness means I know that until you repent and turn from that behavior, I can't be a part of your life. And so you can forgive somebody and still set a very healthy boundary that says, until this happens, I can't be around you. That's okay. Both are good. Was that it for questions? That's it for questions. No last minute ones that snuck in under the radar? Nope. Cool. Waiting for technology. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we're going to finish today with one more singing of a song. So if you'll join me, if you'll stand up and join in singing, and then we'll do the benediction here in a moment. Church, the Lord has blessed you and is keeping you. His face shines upon you and he is gracious to you. He looks upon you with favor and gives you his peace. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.